Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. Here's Pastor Robert Manessis. And in part one, we saw that this group is living in the very last days of earth's history. They are alive to see Christ coming in the clouds of heaven. The Bible says that there are two groups when Christ returns. Christ says that you're either the sheep or the goats, the wheat or the tares. Two ways to walk, the wide way, Jesus said in Matthew, that leads to destruction, and many will go in by it because that's the easy way. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, but few will find it because difficult is the way. This group will be that group who are happy to see Christ return in the clouds. Amen. We saw that this group also goes to what the Bible calls the great time of trouble, a time that since never was upon this earth, a time where the mark of the beast is legislated, a time where there is also a decree that you can't buy and sell, and a death decree is therefore initiated. I mean, the most serious time in earth's history. This group goes through this time. It's a special group, and they make it because they cling to Jesus. Special group, alive to see Christ return. They're able to stand, and they go through that time in history which no one else will go through. We saw that John did not have literal Jews in mind, but symbolic. The Bible says that if you are in Christ, you are of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. That there is a New Testament Israel, those who are grafted into Jesus. Read Romans chapter 11. That Paul said that you are not a Jew, one outwardly, but one who is inwardly, those who are circumcised of the heart. New Israel the Christian church, those believers in Jesus, this is the group that John sees, those who are believers in Jesus Christ. And they are sealed, sealed with God's seal, which is found in His law and in the very heart of His law, the fourth commandment. That's review quickly. And then we saw that this is a symbolic number, not literal. This is not a literal number. God is not trying to keep people out. He's trying to get as many as He can in. So if this is a symbolic number, we ask the question, this was last time, why does John use the number 144,000 made up? of 12 12 thousands because we saw that in Revelation chapter 7, every tribe has the number number 12,000 next to it, if you remember that. Not one or more, not one number less. Each have 12,000, and when you add up the 12,000, you come to this number, and we saw that John is putting God's people in military order because in the Bible it says that when God's people went out to war, they were in the number of 12,000. Why would God's people have to be in military order? Are we not facing a battle? Are we not in a war, friends? What did Paul say? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. The Bible says, and the dragon was enraged with the woman and went to make war with her. We're in a battle, whether you like it or not. And 
John put Judah as the first tribe. Again, John did not give us the literal tribes. He left Dan and Ephraim out, and he put in its place Levi and, and, um, and, and Joseph. Again, not having literal Israel in mind. And in that list in Revelation, usually Reuben should go first because Reuben was the firstborn. But again, he does not have literal Israel in mind. He puts Judah first. Why? Because who is the commander-in-chief of God's army? Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Isn't that powerful? You can make it. You can make it because Christ is our commander-in-chief. You can make it. That's all review. I just said a review in a few minutes, and we took like an hour each time. But <laughs> okay. Here we go. Today. What I believe is the most important aspect of the 144,000, their characteristics. You guys ready? You sure? Here we go. Revelation 14. Let's go. We also see this group in the book of Revelation chapter 14, not just in Revelation 7, but also in 14. Revelation chapter 14, last book of the Bible. And we see them here again in verse 1. I mentioned in part one that the book of Revelation does not go in sequential order. It sort of jumps around at places. Sometimes John will begin with something that has not yet happened, but then retrack it down to where it's back on earth. And we'll see that clearly here. But here in verse one, he brings the group back out and look at the characteristic they have in verse one of Revelation 14. In Revelation chapter 14, verse one, the Bible says this, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him, who's with him? There's our group, the 144,000. And it says, having the Father's name written on their foreheads. So what we have to do as good Bible students is know what it means to have the Father's name written on their foreheads. Now, what we're seeing here is that this has to be symbolic language because who cares if you just have Father on your forehead, so what? What does it represent to have the Father's name written on their foreheads? Well, we have to go to the book of Exodus chapter 33 to figure this out. Let's go there. Exodus chapter 33. What we're going to see here is that God's glory and His name are synonymous or interchangeable. And what does God's glory and or name represent? Because it says that they have the Father's name written on their forehead. What does that mean? Revel uh, Exodus chapter 33. Moses is on top of Mount Sinai there with God. And he asked God a question. And we're in chapter 33 of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible. And look at verse 18. Say amen when you get there. And, and he said, and Moses said, please show me your glory. So what does Moses want to see from God? His glory. Okay? Now look at the next verse. Verse 19, and then God said, capital H, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim thee 
Huh? Yeah, there it is. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Again, Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And God said, okay, I'm going to proclaim my name. Are you with me? I want to see your glory. Okay, I'm going to proclaim my name. Well, we come to chapter 34, and let's see what God does. Okay, God says, you cannot see me, you can only see my backside, and he, he puts Moses on the cleft of the rock there, and we eventually come to chapter 34, and let's look at verse 5. Moses wanted to see God's glory, and God said, okay, I'm going to show you my glory, I'm going to proclaim my name, and let's see what that is. Verse 5 of chapter 34, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And verse 6 now tells us what God's glory and name represent. And the Lord passed before him proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Let's stop there. What did God proclaim to Moses? What was his name or his glory? What did God give him? He gave him his character traits. Merciful, long-suffering, Goodness, forgiving, good. Aren't, that, aren't those not character traits? They are. Is God not good and merciful and long-suffering and patient and all that? Can you say amen? So don't miss it. Here is Moses. Lord, I want to see your glory. Okay, I'm going to show it to you, and I'm going to proclaim my name because God's glory and his name are synonymous, and what God proclaimed is his character. So think. If God's Last day people have the Father's name written on their forehead. What is that telling us? That they are reflecting the character of God to the world. Isn't that awesome? Here are a people who have allowed and chose, because the forehead is where the frontal lobe is, they have chosen to allow God to work in them, and they begin to reflect Jesus to the world. His name. His what? His name. Now, go to Revelation 18, and look at verse 1. Now, God's glory is the same as His name, which is His character, yes? Okay. In Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1, we see that the earth will be illuminated with something. Take a look. In Revelation 18, verse 1, it says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his what? Glory. And you're going to say, oh, that's a literal angel. No, it's not, because Look at verse 2. This is a repetition of the second angel's message. Look at verse 2. Then he cried with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of prison of every foul spirit in every cage of every unclean bird. Go to chapter 14. Look at verse 8. 
this is a repetition of the second angel's message. And we've studied that the, the three angels' messages is proclaimed by God's people. Yes or no? Yes. Verse 8 says, and another angel follows saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. So again, chapter 18 is just repeating with a louder cry that Babylon has fallen. And we don't have time to look into that, but here's my point. If we've studied that the three angels' messages is to be given by God's people, and the word angel in the Greek there means message, and only God gave his people the commission to preach the gospel to the world, what the Bible is saying, that if the earth is enlightened with his glory, that means that God's people will lighten the world with God's glory. Because Jesus said, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to the Father. That's what Jesus said. Here we have a people who have the Father's name written on their forehead. They are revealing to the world Jesus. Now, you're going to say, how is that even possible? Look at this verse here. It's on the screen. But we all, Paul wrote this. Who, who is Paul writing to? The church in Corinth. So we, who's we? That's him and the church, yes? Believers. And we all with unveiled face, what's this word? Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. And what did we see was God's glory? Yeah, his name, which is his character. So what is Paul saying? What are we beholding? God's character and are then being what? transformed into the same image. You ever heard the phrase, by beholding you become changed? That's, this is a biblical principle. Do you know who else knows that principle? Satan. So let's see, uh, kids watch nothing but violent movies and violent cartoons and violent video games and we have a violent society. Hmm. By beholding, you become changed. And Paul says the more we begin to behold the character of God, we begin to be transformed. The, the word here, transformed, is from the Greek word metamorphos. Is a butterfly born a butterfly? What is a butterfly before a butterfly? But over time, it transforms or metamorphoses into a beautiful butterfly, yes or no? What God is saying is this, is that, you see, we're not born butterflies, but by us beholding Jesus and his character and beholding Jesus and keeping our eyes on Jesus and allowing God to change us by the power of his spirit, we begin to transform and we begin, we begin to reflect the character of Jesus to others. Go to Revelation 14. Look what the Bible says here about this group. It's incredible. Go to Revelation 14. Look what the Bible says here. Look at Revelation 14. Are you there? Now, look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, and we're going to get into this again deeper, but look at the point here. Look at verse 4, Revelation 14. Look at this. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. We're going to get to that in a minute, but this. These are the ones who do what? Yeah, they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Who do they keep their eyes on? Who's the Lamb? 
Look at this. If we were to follow something, right, if I were to say, oh, follow that horse that's going to be running across the field, what, what do you use? Your eyes. In other words, if they're following the lamb wherever he goes, they keep their eyes on Jesus, and by beholding, they become changed. And the Father's name is written on their forehead. They begin to reflect the character of Jesus to the world. Isn't that incredible? You do know that we're in a battle and we have to make choices. There's only two roads. Fence riding is not a road, <laughs> right? And one foot here and I'll just have one foot here is not a road either. We have to either choose to follow Jesus with all our heart, soul, and mind or not. The choice is ours, amen? But this group here has decided to put their complete attention on their Savior. And by beholding, you become what? Changed. Now, look at this. God's people have decided to put the world behind them and focus on someone, Jesus. Go to Revelation chapter 7. Because if you're a, a good Bible student, it also says this in Revelation chapter 7. Look at verses 3 and 4. You see, Satan is doing all he can to keep us distracted to think that we can keep one, one foot in the world and one foot in the church, and that's just okay. You have to make a stand for Jesus. And this group has decided to give it all to Jesus. They have kept their eyes now fully on the Lamb, and they begin to reflect His character to the world, to a universe. Now, look at this. Revelation chapter 7 then here says... In verse 3, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, where? On their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, and that's the 144,000 group. Now, in chapter 7, it says that they are sealed on the forehead. But in Revelation 14, it says that the Father's name is on their forehead. Is that a contradiction? No, because look at this. We studied that God's seal is found in His law. The Bible says, seal the law among my who? Disciples. We saw that within the law, there are always three official uh, elements to a seal. This is a little bit review. Every seal has a name, a title, and a territory. And within God's law, where God's seal is found, in the very heart of it, the fourth commandment, we find God's sign and seal. The Bible says, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a sign and or seal, those, use, those words are used interchangeable, between me and you throughout all your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Continues. 
Exodus 31, therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and, and the children of Israel forever. And let me ask you, who is there still a children of Israel today? Who's a believer in Jesus? Then you're part of Israel. What's the new covenant? I will write my law in their hearts. So the Sabbath is the sign and seal, for in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. You see, we saw last week that Meredith Klein, a theologian, and not an Adventist, he's not a Seventh-day Adventist at all. He's just a scholar who studies covenants, and he knows that the Ten Commandments is a covenant that God made, and look what he says. He says, but the Sabbath is declared his sign of the covenant. By means of the Sabbath, God's image bearer, as a pledge of covenant consecration, images the pattern of the divine act of creation, which proclaims God's absolute sovereignty over man. You see, the Sabbath points to God as our creator. It is his sign and seal. He's the one that made the heavens and the earth. He then continues, God has stamped on world history the sign of the Sabbath as a seal of ownership and authority. So you see, you can't separate God's law from His name, which is His character. God's law is a reflection of His character. That's why it's not contradictive to say that they, have, they are sealed, which is God's law, but guess what? His name is His character. It's the same thing. The law is a reflection of God's character. Let me ask you a question. Is God holy? Is God good? Is God just? Is God perfect? Is God righteous? Take a look at this. Romans 7.12 says, Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Look at this. James 1.25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Look at Psalms 119, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are what? Righteousness, God's law, is a reflection of his character. You cannot split the two. Here's a chart. The Bible says that God is good, holy, perfect, pure, just, and all these things. You Here's the verses. And the Bible says that God's law is the same thing. The law of God is a reflection of his character. Go back to Exodus chapter 33. Look at what he does here. Having his father's name on their forehead and or being sealed on their forehead is actually the same thing. Go back to Exodus chapter 33. Let's look back at here and look at what we see here. Say amen if you're there. So again, chapter 33, verse 18, and Moses said, please show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. We've read that, yes? Okay. And then again, God says, you can't see my front side, but I'm going to cover you and you can see my back side. That's the rest of the verses. Now chapter 34. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I, God, will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Look at the story. I hope you know it. That God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Yes or no? Yes. 
Yes. And then when Moses came down from the mountain, he saw that his people were praying and studying the Bible. No, they were in reverie, worshiping a golden calf, and the Bible says that Moses threw the law and it shattered. Are you with me? He then went back up and God said, okay, well, you broke the first ones, so go ahead and carve out some stone, but listen to this, I will write down the commandments again. Moses never wrote down the law of God. God did it both times. What Moses did write down was what they called the book of the law, which was put beside the ark, and it was all these festivals and feasts and, 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 um, and the rituals that were pointing to the true Lamb of God, which was the fulfillment. Can you say amen? But the law of God was written by God himself, placed on stone in the ark, meant to last forever. Amen. Now, keep reading. Look at this. So, I want to see your glory. I'm going to proclaim my name. And then... We're in chapter 34. He, God says, okay, I'm going to write down the Ten Commandments again on stone. Verse 2, so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to, to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no a man be seen throughout all morning. Uh, maintain, let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the tablets of the stones. Verse 5, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And we read he proclaimed his character. Now listen carefully. Look what God does. Before I proclaim my character, I'm going to write it first. Did you see that? Before he proclaims it, verses 5 and 6, he first wrote it again on two tablets of stone. The law of God is a reflection of his character. So what is the Bible telling us? Go to Revelation 14. But look at this here. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 40. No angel could successfully oppose the law of God, which was as sacred as himself. God's government is just. His law is perfect. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Look at verse 12. God's people will reflect to the world His character. And look what the Bible says in Revelation 14 verse 12. Because God's law is also a, uh, 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 synonymous with His character. Look at Revelation 14 verse 12. And look what the Bible says here. Are we all there? Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. They are reflecting to the world God's character. And how is that seen in practical sense? Will they love God with all their heart, soul, and mind? They love their neighbor as themselves? That's what Jesus did. Because you know what? If you want to love God with all, your, with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're probably not going to want to have other gods before you. You're probably not going to want to make ribbon images and bow down to them. Amen? If you want to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, you're probably not going to want to take His name in vain, and you're probably going to want to desire to keep His seventh-day Sabbath holy. 
If you want to love your neighbor as yourself, you're probably not going to steal from them or kill them. Amen? Amen. Yeah, don't make me nervous. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to covet what they have. These are a people who have allowed God to work in them. And they're reflecting God's character to the world. They have surrendered everything to Jesus. And they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. What a group. What a group. What a group. That's why the Bible says this. Take a look. In Him you are also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise because it's the Spirit who does the sealing. It's the Spirit who does the work in my heart. It's the Spirit who begins to transform me. Can you say amen? It's the Spirit who does the work. But here's the thing. Read what I have up here. They are the ones who have allowed God to change their character to be like His rendered their hearts of true repentance, desiring and allowing God through the power of the Holy Spirit to help them be overcomers of temptation and sin in their lives and live a pure holy life by surrendering their, their, their will and completely depending on His will, grace and strength by faith. Some people don't like to hear that. Some people don't like to hear that God can help you be an overcomer. Some people don't like to hear that God can help you overcome sin and not fall to temptation. They don't want to hear this. Why? Because they, they like to hear, I can keep one foot here and one foot here, but God says, if you want to follow me, I need everything. Can Satan get you into a sin, yes or no? Yes, but God can't get you out of it. Is that true? The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There it is. It's God's power and His strength. So what's the Bible telling us? This group have decided to completely depend and surrender on their Savior. They surrender their wills, and by faith, follow Jesus as He guides and leads them to help them be overcomers. Revelation twenty two eleven says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Let him, let him, let him be what he's chosen to be. Let him be what he's chosen to be. What we see here again, first, first uh, um, characteristic is a people who have kept their eyes fully on Jesus. They've turned their back to the world in the sense of not being of the world, just in the world, as Jesus said, and they've surrendered all to Jesus, allowing Him to work on their hearts, and by His grace and faith, He begins to help them, uh, transform them to show the world His character, and they begin to lighten the world with His glory.
does not the world need a people who begin to show them Jesus? Yes or no? Once I was studying with a woman and I um, shared with her from the Bible what Christ says about discipleship. Do you know that Jesus says that we have to surrender all to Him? Do you know that? You know the Bible says that he who saves his life will lose it, but he who loses his life will save it? Jesus said that. You know, Jesus said that if you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross and, and die daily. Let me ask you a question. What does it mean to pick up your cross? What did it mean to Jesus? That Christ gave, when Christ picked up his cross, he was giving his life for you and me, amen? Here is a group who have decided to give their entire lives to Jesus. And as they surrender and depend on Him, the Spirit is working in them, and they begin to be transformed, and they begin to reflect to the world His character, or they have His name written on their forehead. Can you say, man, they are sealed? And you can't separate God's character from His law. Go back to Revelation 14. Let's look at another one. This is a serious group. Revelation 14, now look at verses 2 and 3. I want to make it clear that that transformation is not done by my power or my will, but by His power and His strength as I surrender to Him. Amen. Amen. Chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, then it says, And I heard from the voice from heaven like the whole voice of many waters and like the voice of a loud thunder, and I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. And it says, And they, the 144, sang as it were a new song from the throne before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who are redeemed from the earth. Why? Why are the, the only, they are the only ones who can learn and know that song? Listen why. Because they are the only ones who will go through that experience which no one else will go through. I'm going to say it again. They're going to be the only ones in earth's history that are going to go through the great time of trouble such as never was before. Can't buy and sell Mark of the Beast, Death Decree, they are the only ones that can sing this song because they are the only ones who experience going through that time. I can't sing the song that you sing in your life. Do you understand the illustration here? You can't sing my song because you haven't gone through what I've gone through. If we go through something together, we can sing that song, but they can't sing it. I'm going to say it again. If we here go through a certain experience that they don't go through, we, let's make a song about it. 
they can't sing that song because they haven't experienced that song. That means Abraham can't sing that song, or Moses, or the disciples, or the reformers, not even Ellen White. Only those who go through this time in earth's history, special group, they are the only ones that can sing that song. Does that make sense? 6,000 years of sin on this earth and Satan battling. And then God has a people in these very last days who says, you know what? I'm not one-third in. I'm not one-fourth in. I'm 100% into Jesus, and I'm going to allow him to transform me, and I'm going to keep my eyes fully on him. I'm going to turn my back on the ways of the world, and I'm 100% God's, and he will transform me with the power of his spirit as I surrender to him and depend on him. His spirit gives me the power to be an overcomer, and God's people in these very last days reflect to the universe God's character. That by their own choices, they've chosen to allow God to seal them, to follow him, to keep his commandments because they love Jesus and they've surrendered all to him. What a group. This is not a one foot in, one foot out group. This is two feet in. Man, I'm passionate about it. There are people out there who claim that God doesn't have the power to help us find victories. They need to study this group. Look at this quote here. Signs of the Times, 1902. On this earth, Satan sought to carry forward the work that he began in heaven. We've studied this on Wednesdays. The war in heaven began over desiring uh, uh, worship and in the context of God's law. We studied that. He declared that man could not obey the law of God. But you know what? Look at my sentence here. It's a good one. Satan is right in a sense. In our own strength, we can't and all have sinned. Amen? But look at this. But Jesus kept it. And by faith, and not based on our own efforts, we too can keep God's commandments. Now look at this. Faith is when we find no resources in ourselves, but only in the Word of God and the working of the Holy Spirit. That is the only way victory over sin is possible. It is the fight, it is the fight, sorry, I should say, of faith, should say, sorry, I missed, of faith, Surrender and dependence in Jesus. Look at this. It is our surrender and dependence, and it is Christ's power and victory. Can you even grasp that sentence? Our work is surrender and dependence on Him. That's faith, and it's His power and His victory. Our work is to surrender and depend. He does the hard work. Now you're going to say, oh, it's hard to surrender and depend. Well, it is hard, but as we surrender more and more,
This is called righteousness by faith. Not my power, but his power. It's not my victory, but his victory. It's the Spirit who does the work, and I allow him to do the work. Amen. They're all in. What are they? They're all in. Go back to Revelation chapter 14. Let's look at a few more characteristics. Again, this is a group who have fully committed themselves to Jesus, allowing God to do the work in their lives to reflect His character. And you can't separate God's law from His character. Therefore, they're revealing to the world they have chosen to keep God's commandments out of love for God. And God works in their hearts to reflect His character to the world. And they go through a special time that no one else can go, that will go through. They, therefore, they have a special song that they sing. Now go to verse 4. Revelation 14, verse 4. These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And some people claim, oh, this group is literally virgins. Well, that sort of wipes out all married folk. He is not talking about being a literal virgin here. This is symbolism. What does a woman represent in Bible prophecy? Church. We, Christ is the husband, and we are the bride of Christ. Amen? A woman in the Bible represents a church. Paul understood it. That's just the teachings. Are you with me? So if the Bible says they are not defiled with women, what are they talking about? They are not defiled with the errors and false doctrines of other, of other churches. In other words, other, other beliefs, they stand firm in the truth. That's what virgin means, pure. Look what the Bible says. Paul says, for I am jealous for you, who's you? Church, with godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you a chaste, what? Virgin to Christ. Is Paul saying that you can never get married and have relations? Or is this symbolic meaning here, that virginity means purity? Can you say amen? That God always wanted his church to be pure. Amen. But if you know history, and as, 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 as the early church began to go, and paganism began to infiltrate the church, they went from being pure to refer to as a harlot in Revelation 17. And God is calling his people back to purity, to, to turn their back on these paganistic doctrines and non-biblical teachings, and they grasp the truth, and they follow the truth. They are pure not defiled with unbiblical teachings. Therefore, they must study the Bible, know what the Bible teaches, and desire to follow the Bible and the truths found in the Bible. What a group. Are you understanding here? They are not defiled with these false teachings. They are virgins. In other words, they know what the truth is, and they follow the truth. It then says in verse 4, these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I mean, do you see again that this is a group who has totally sold out for Jesus? Not just by word, but by their life. 
These were redeemed from among men, uh, from the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. Look at verse 5. This is interesting. And in their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now listen very carefully. This is interesting here. They have no deceit in their mouth. Now listen. The word deceit there in the Greek, that my version translates there, deceit, means, uh, it comes from the Greek word pseudos, which means a falsehood, untruth, or lie. In other words, if they... They, they, don't, they don't speak deceit, they're speaking the truth. Listen carefully. They are speaking truth. And what is the truth that they are proclaiming? It's found in verses 6 through 12, the following verses, the three angels' messages. Do you see how it's flowing? Why isn't the three angels' messages found in the beginning of the chapter? Because you have to understand how the, the, the chapter is flowing. John pictures this group again, and he says that in verse 5, that they, 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 they were not defiled with women. They did not, they, they, they were virgins. They were pure in doctrine and truth. And in verse 5, he, he emphasizes it in the word pseudos, that they told no lie. In other words, they spoke the truth. They lived the truth. But John, what was that truth that they spoke? Keep reading. It's the three angels' messages found in the following verses. That's the truth that they proclaimed and lived. And then in verse 14, he then sees Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven. The characteristics of a people in the very last days of earth's history, after 6,000 years of sin escalating, there's a, a people who say, you know what? I'm going to give all to Jesus. I'm going to know what the Bible teaches. And I'm going to follow that truth. Live that truth. Proclaim that truth. I'm going to allow the Spirit to work in my heart and begin to allow him to change me because I want to begin to share and show Jesus to others. But I have no power within myself to do it. So I'm going to surrender and depend on his power and his strength and his victory. Completely surrendered and sold out for Jesus. And because they are the only ones in earth's history that go through this time and stand as firm as they did, it's a song that no one else can sing. But you see, this is a symbolic number. All can be part of this group if they choose to do so. Do you know that God's not waiting on the Pope? He's waiting for his people. For his people to get out of their Laodicean state and become hot and on fire 
and to choose to surrender everything to Jesus. So I'm going to finish with this. This group, the 144,000 symbolic living in the last days, have not been defiled with false doctrine. They know and proclaim the truth found in the three angels' messages. They have kept their eyes fully on Jesus and have allowed God to manifest His character, righteousness in their lives by faith and the working of the Holy Spirit. They hate sin and love righteousness. They gladly, out of love, they gladly, out of love, keep all of God's commandments, including the fourth. And because of this, they are sealed, ready to face earth's last great crisis. They are battling this spiritual war and overcoming because the lion of the tribe of Judah is their commander-in-chief. I've just summarized for you the group right there. And I'm going to read it again. This group, symbolic, living in the last days, have not been defiled with false doctrine. They know and proclaim the truths found in the three angels' messages. But if you don't study the Bible, how do you know what true truth is? They have kept their eyes fully on Jesus and have allowed God to manifest His character, righteousness in their lives by faith. And the working of the Holy Spirit they begin to hate sin and love righteousness. They gladly, out of love, keep all of God's commandments, including the fourth. And because of this, they are sealed, ready to face earth's last great crisis. They are battling the spiritual war and overcoming because the lion of the tribe of Judah is their commander-in-chief. They have surrendered all to him. What a group. Truly a special group. Truly a group that has fully decided to follow Jesus. I end with this, and this is going to blow your socks off. Take a look. The amazing thing is, John puts these names in this order as well because notice what happens when the meaning of the names are combined in the same order into a paragraph. When you put the, the, the meaning of the names together, this makes a sentence. You, knew, you do know that in the Bible, names have meanings, okay? Just two examples, and then I'll finish with this last side. Go to, go to the book of Genesis. Let me just show you. I'll just show you the first two, and then we'll look at the sentence here. You can go to those, uh, the others yourself. You do know that in the Bible, names have meaning. It'll be done in about three minutes. Genesis chapter... 29, that when these women began to have these babies, Judah and Reuben and all them, they began to name them, but the names have meanings. Go to Genesis chapter 29, just two examples, and then you can take a picture of the next slide that I will show you, and you can go to the rest yourself. But go to Genesis chapter 29, verse 35. Say amen when you get there. Genesis 29, verse 35. And the Bible says this in Genesis chapter 29, verse 35, it says, And she conceived and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. Right? So the name Judah means, now I will what? Praise the Lord, okay? So she says, now I shall praise the Lord, quotations, and therefore that name means Judah. Are you with me? Just one more example. Go to 
chapter 20, um, 29, look at verse 32. Chapter 29, verse 32, the Bible says, So Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name, what? Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. So, the, these names, if you go through all the names, they all have a meaning. Are you with me? And when you put the, the meaning of each name in order, you see, he didn't put Benjamin first. He put these all in certain orders because if you go through the meaning, they have a sentence. Do you want to know what it says? Yes or no? You'll have to come back next week. No? We'll reveal it. This is incredible. You can take a picture of this. I can send it to you. These are all the Bible verses that show what every name means. Judah, we just read it. Now I will praise the Lord. Reuben means, surely God has looked upon my affliction. Gad means, what good fortune. Again, if you put all this into a sentence, this is what it says. I will praise the Lord for he has looked upon my affliction and granted me good fortune. Happy am I because with great wrestlings have I wrestled and have prevailed. For God has made me forget all my struggle. God has heard me that I was hated. Therefore, he, my husband, has joined unto me. He has paid my wages, purchased me, and endowed me with a good gift. He will now dwell with me. God will add to me the son of his right hand. That's what that means. So what is that saying? These names describe the story of the church's struggle Redemption, victory, and marriage to the Lamb. That's incredible. These names mean this. He puts them all in order, and he gives us a picture of the story of God's people prevailing, struggling, but finding the victory through him and then understanding that they were purchased and, of course, it will add me to the son of his righteousness. Isn't that incredible? After parts one, two, and three, you now know almost everything about this group. And here's the good news. Doesn't matter where you're from, what language you speak, what color you are, or whatever, all can be part of this group. But here's the thing. You guys listening? I'm a, I'm a, this is my appeal here. I'm closing. But let's just say that, oh, what if I die and sleep in Jesus? Well, you won't be part of this group because this group will, are those who are alive to see Christ coming. But here's the thing. Regardless, if you do live to see Jesus coming or you sleep a little bit till he comes and resurrects you, all these characteristics that we studied today God desires all his people to have. Do you guys know that? That's the awesome thing. Regardless if you sleep in Jesus or are truly alive to see him coming, regardless, God desires all his people to have these characteristics today. 
Therefore, a special preparation is needed. Only you know, here or at home, how you are with Jesus. Only you know. Only you know if you're taking your walk with Jesus seriously. Only you know. Maybe you're somebody who might come to church on the right day, sit in the pew, go home, just go through life. Oh, by the way, church is again today. Let me go to church. But you know that your walk with Jesus isn't serious. Because every day should be a time where we continue to surrender to Jesus. We are to worship God every day, amen? You know if there's something in your life that you just don't want to give up and, you know, you're struggling, but you think, hey, you know, it doesn't really matter. Or maybe you want to hear God's convictions to help you by His grace and power overcome something that you know He wants you to overcome. Amen. You guys with me? This is making sense? Again, when Christ returns, you will not regret that you didn't work more You will not regret that, oh, I, I, watched, I didn't watch enough TV. The one thing that people will regret the most, God forbid, is that they did not surrender and take their walk with Jesus seriously. That will be the greatest regret. I didn't have enough money because at the end of the day that's what it's all about who here today who here today wants to say Lord regardless if I am alive to see you coming or if I rest in Jesus I want you to write your name on my forehead. This podcast is a service of the University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website. Thank you for listening.